0: Father, we thank you again for the wonderful time of praise and worship. We thank you, Lord, that, that Jesus is Lord. And he is, we believe, that the Lord over this church. And we endeavor to maintain that relationship in our own lives as well as in the life of this church. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the word. You have given to the church exactly what we need. You've given to your church the word of God that comes from your heart. It's breathed by you. And we've given us your spirit to make this word alive in our hearts. He is the teacher, the helper. He is the author of this word. And so we're looking to him tonight to do just that, to take the words of this book, the spiritual words of God, the spirit in life, and to breathe them into our hearts, exactly what each one of us needs to hear tonight. And we thank you in advance for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles be the book of James. If you weren't here last Wednesday night... What we're going to do for just a little while, the beginning of this year, is on Wednesday nights, is this is called a Bible study, so we're going to study the Bible together. We're going to go through the book of James, and and, uh, uh, I don't do this very often. I did the Philemon at the end of last year, and I just felt that was the time to do the book of James. And I'm not going to go back over last time we spent quite a bit of time on the background of this book. It's important to, to understand the background of books. You can read your Bible for a number of different purposes, and you really need to do it, for each one of these, and you'll get something very different out of it. It's, it's wonderful to read the Bible just to get acquainted with what's in it. What's in John, what's in James, what's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what's in 1st and 2nd Peter, what's in those books. It's also good to study them. And study is where you, you look up background, like we talked about last week, you get, understand who the author is a little bit, and all of that helps you to, for, for, to grow in, the, in what that book means to us. But then there's a the time to use it for devotional purposes where you open the Bible and, and, you, and, you know, I hope you don't do what a lot of, I won't say I hope you don't do, but a lot of Christians just open the Bible to wherever it happens to fall and, and then start reading there. The problem is the, the center of, of both books is not necessarily a good place to start if you're not acquainted with the Bible. And so, but I just encourage you, one of the is reason for devotional purposes. And another is, is just to to, to to meditate on it, which is very important, and we'll talk about that later on. So we're going to do kind of a Bible study on the book of James to get you an idea of, of why it was written, what's in there, and then we'll trust the Spirit of God each night to take something and show us something, which is what happened last time. We only didn't get out of verse 2. and uh, uh, But just quickly, by way of background, uh, the book is written most likely by the half-brother of Jesus. And, um, and we talked about the variations of that, but most likely that's who it is. It was written to Hebrew believers, Hebrew Christians, Jews that had gotten saved. And in the first century, there was a tremendous persecution against the church by the synagogues, by the, the, the religious leaders, and as well as by the Roman government. And as a result, especially the Hebrew believers, the Jewish believers, they were scattered into other parts of the world, into Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. Some of them went over into, into, into Greece, Macedonia, and Achaia. Some of them went up northern into Syria. Uh, and anyway, as, but when they got scattered, they got separated from the home base, which is the church at Jerusalem. That was the, the mother church, the main church, where the, where the apostles, by and large, stayed and uh, so as they got separated from their main source uh, and their main fellowship, they began to get, be, be drift into strange things. The book of Hebrews is also written to Jewish believers that had been scattered abroad. And it's, it's written to help them remember them, to remind them that the gospel is, 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 a, is the doctrine of salvation by faith in what Christ did not and then not bring the old law back in because there were judaizers out there trying to get the Jewish believers to say well Christianity really still Ju- Judaism with another feature added to it and it's not it was settled in Acts chapter 15 it's not and so that's what Hebrews is written about but 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 this was written to Jewish believers that were persecuted and that had scattered, but it's a very different purpose. This is not very much a doctrine. This is a very practical book. And this was written in many ways to help them deal with going through the difficult times that they were going through, the persecution. Many of these believers had lost everything. Because when they packed up and left Jerusalem, they didn't have a moving van That had you know that had Philippi as a destination, they left with literally whatever they could grab, and left they fled for their lives. They lost their businesses, they lost their reputations. In some cases, they've lost family. So these are people that really have gone through it, and now they're out trying to start over again without the support of the rest of their family, spiritually or otherwise. So they're going through a very difficult time, and 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 they they're sensing that there's a more difficult time coming. And so James writes this letter to them to help them deal with going through a difficult time so we can, we can glean things out of his writing to them because we go through difficult times. And then there are just some very practical instructions that we, things in there. This is a very practical book. And I mentioned to you last week, there are a lot of similarities between the, the, the spiritual practical lessons of this and of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. A lot of similarities in terms of dealing with people and, 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 and the changing the attitudes once we're saved and looking at other people through God's eyes and not our own eyes. And so we'll get into some of that as we get further into it. But that's what we talked about last time. And then we began to get into this first chapter. And we probably won't get through it tonight because there's something really, I really feel to focus on. We'll just pick up there. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes, that refers to Israel, scattered abroad. My brethren, so we know they're believers, we talked about this last week, verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So he's talking about the different trials and and difficulties that they were going through and he's telling them the attitude to have towards it and the attitude he says to have towards it is to count it all joy and we talked about that last week. The word count there is literally an accounting term, which means you look at some fact, you look at a figure and decide whether that's a debit or a credit. You decide what account that goes into. And we talked about that last week. So it's looking at the same fact, but deciding how I'm going to treat this, what I'm going to consider it. And we may not realize it, but you have the, you have the absolute, absolute sovereignty over your life as to what you, how you handle situations, what they mean to you. And I'll give you a great example. He was not a Christian, but there was a man that was one of the, in the concentrate, one of the concentration camps in Germany. Frankel, was that his name, Steve? Yeah, okay. And, and he was, he was going through the horrible suffering that they were all going through, and, and all the, his other inmates were getting mad at their, at their, at their, at their guards, because they were being terribly mistreated, and he realized one day, wait a minute. They've taken away my property, they've taken away my family, they've taken away my goods, they've even taken away my identity, because I don't have a name anymore, i got a number tattooed on my arm, but what they can't take away is my will. They can't make me hate them. So I'm going to hold on to the one thing nobody can take away from me, it's my power to decide how I'm going to react to that. And I don't remember the whole story, it's been a long time I read it, but he began to have that, just have that attitude, and so the guards began to respond to him differently. Because he created a different, what they would call in, in in humanism, an aura. He created a different spirit about him. And he wasn't a believer. He just made that decision out of his own will. So if you can do that in a concentration camp, you can do it in whatever you're dealing with or I'm dealing with. So however you're reacting to whatever's going on in your life is 100% your choice. I'm not talking about the circumstances. It's how you respond to them. That's your choice. Nobody can take that away from you. God can't take it away from you. God can't make you respond a certain way because otherwise he would do it. You're the only one that can decide how you're going to respond to something good or bad, what it's going to do to you. And so, so, so the fact that we can count it all joys is up to us. So if you're not joyful in the middle of circumstances, you're not counting right. Because you can change how you count. And counted all joy, and we talked about what that. When you fall into, and we talked about that last time, because you don't ever pick choose to go into a trial. So you know what? There's a there's a good looking trial over there. I think I'll go into that one. No, we fall into them, and we talked last week. Usually, we fall into them because we're not looking where we're going. You don't fall into things and you know where you're going. When we fall into various, that word means there are many different types of trials. We're going to go on, but I'm going to come back to that word trial in a little while because that's very, very important. And, and now, how can you count it all joy? The Bible does not tell you to do things without telling you why and how. Verse 3, this is how. Knowing. So it's knowing something. And we talked about that last time. That involves this process that we've taught about many times before, the process of renewing your mind. And all renewing your mind comes down to is learning how to think differently about a situation than you used to think. And the way you learn to think about it is the way God thinks about it, according to this word. And we'll get far enough, we'll see an example of that tonight. Knowing that the... So this is how you've got to think. Knowing something. The way you can count that trial, all joy, because it's not fun to go through a trial. So it's not the natural response to a trial to say, oh, wow, this is fun. But you can do it if you understand something. Knowing that the testing, this is what you know. This is how you renew your mind. If I'm going through a trial, I know something, according to God's Word, that the testing of my faith produces patience. Now, why is that going to call me to counter all joy? The testing of my, you know, some of us... Love school, and some of us, it was not the most pleasant experience we ever went through. Some of us couldn't wait for tests because we were confident of how we were gonna do. But some of us didn't like tests because we weren't confident at all of how, all it was gonna do is show us either that we were not very smart or we didn't study very hard, which means we were lazy. So your response to a test, your reaction to finding out open, your, know, close your books today, students, pull out a piece of paper because we're going to have a surprise quiz. Some are going to go, oh boy, and some are going to go, oh no. It all depends on how prepared you think you are and how well you expect you're going to do. Because if you know you've studied well and you just, you're, you know, you, you you're very good in school, you're going to want to take tests because it's going to prove how much you know and how smart you are. But when we hate tests, it's because we don't think we're going to do very well, and nobody wants to be shown up for how unintell- how not smart we may be. Let's put it that way, or how lazy we've been. Uh, but we want to. So this is what a test does, and we'll get onto that in a little bit. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Why would I count it all joy just because the testing of my faith is going to produce patience? First of all. Unless we understand what that word means, most of us don't like the sound of patience. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like the sound of patience because patience implies two things, at least. One of the things it implies is time. And it implies going through something I don't want to go through. Because I never have to learn to be patient to eat an ice cream sundae. I never have to I mean, my, our granddaughter, one of our granddaughters is a master at eating ice cream. I mean, she's an artist, she doesn't get eat it, she has a system of eating it. And there's nothing ever left, I mean, she goes around, you wouldn't almost have to wash the bowl, because she's very good at it, and it, as a result, it takes time. And she loves and enjoys and savors the process. But I've never looked at her at Emma and said, you know what? She's really displayed great patience to eat that ice cream. Because patience also implies it's going to take time to go through something I really don't want to go through because the experience is not the most exciting experience I've ever been. So why would something producing patience cause me to count it all joy? Well, the answer is in the next verse, verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work. So patience will work something in me. Now, I'll explain that in a a minute. So that you may be perfect. Now, that word doesn't mean perfect in the sense you and I normally mean it. Because we usually mean perfect to mean no defects, no failures, and none of us are perfect. That word actually is a Greek word that means mature or complete. So it's a little redundant there that you may be mature and complete Lacking nothing. Oh, now I'm getting something that I can feel joyful about because if I'm going to come to the place where I'm lacking nothing, now he's not talking here so much about material things as he's talking about the process of maturing us, of being matured and lacking nothing. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith produces patience, that let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. We'll stop there. Now we're going to go back over some of this because I need to explain some of this to you. So let's go back to verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How does the testing of your faith produce patience? Well, the word testing here is a Greek word, dokimos, which really means to find out what's on the inside. It's a word that means to test to find out what something is worth, or test to find out what's on the inside, to discover what's where something or someone really is. And this is not hard to understand, because if you've ever been through any kind of trial, any kind of test, whether it was a physical sickness or something like that you 'll find out where you really are and I found out i 've shared some of this with you before it wouldn 't shock me but I found out some things I believed in my head i didn 't really fully believe in my heart because you can believe something in your head and have doubt in your heart you can also have doubt you can also have doubt in your head and believe something in your heart so as we 'll get on with the book of James it becomes important to recognize where am I believing this And where am I doubting something? In my head or in my heart? So the testing, the word testing there means to find out where your faith really is. To check it, to test it. Uh, When they, when they, when manufacturers produce an equipment, my father was a, my, my father was a president of a, of a, a manufacturing company that produced relays, which were electric and electronic switches. And I remember taking a tour of the plant and watching once they assembled them, there was a testing department. Because some of them were put up in rocket ships and things like that, and they didn't want them to go up about 10 minutes and all of a sudden fail, and the thing just doesn't work. So they would test them under, under pressure, under circumstances that were like the way those relays would be used out in for whatever the purpose was. Because if there was a defect in it, they'd rather find out there than when their customer gets it and gets upset, or some rocket ship blows up, or something doesn't work right. So they would test it to find out what are the quality of it. And that's what that word means. The testing of your faith. In First in Peter, it says it's more precious than gold. But actually, it doesn't say the testing of your faith is more precious than gold. It says the genuineness, which is, means the proven character of your faith, is what that word actually means, is more precious than gold. So our faith is a very important thing. It's a very important thing. Because everything we do with and, with and for God is done by faith. Not only are we saved by faith, you're saved by grace. And that grace is received by faith. But everything else we receive from God is by faith. We worship Him by faith. You're gonna, when, you, when you die, are you going to heaven? Yes. Some of you said yes. Anybody else going to heaven? Well, we got a revival going on. People are getting saved all over the place. That's wonderful. Well, how do you know that you know that by faith why you've never, most of you i assume have never seen heaven so i believe i'm going because the word of god says i've done what it was required i've received the gift of the gift of salvation by faith that's so that's all i need to know so faith is you receive your salvation by faith but everything else by god and we walk by faith and what that means is we live in this world with our hope in another world because our faith is in that salvation, not in what's going to happen here. So, But our, but you don't know where your faith really is. It's really easy to sit in a comfortable blue chair on a Wednesday night hearing the word of faith and getting inspired and say, yes, 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 I believe that. And it's another thing at 2 o'clock in the morning when the pain strikes and you're not sitting in a comfortable blue chair and you can't find your Bible and you don't know who to call and suddenly your fear grips you in the middle of the night in the darkness, that's when you find out where your faith really is. And we'll see something about that, why, that's, why it's important and how God handles that. So the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, I've got to explain that. The, the, actually, the testing of your faith only produces patience if you do certain things with it. I have in my basement a set of weights. And those weights are designed to produce muscles. But having those weights in my basement didn't produce any muscles. They only produce muscles if I exert some effort with those weights. So it's what you do with your faith in the trial that produces something. It's not the trial itself. It's not the faith itself. It's the testing of your faith that produces something. So to simply, go, if it was just a trial that produced patience, then we'd be the most patient people in the world. It's what you do with it, just like almost everything else in life. The trying of your faith produces patience. Now I've got to explain that word a little bit. Because again, in the English language, the word patience kind of implies, because words have not just a literal meaning, but they have a nuance to them. They they have a, they have a a a, a a a a suggested meaning that you might not immediately come to mind, but we all get that same reaction to it. So the word patience kind of implies in English putting up with something. Oh, Lord, give me patience. You know that means help me put up with people, but that's not what the Greek word that's translated patience means. It has that feature to it, but it means much more. the The word patience means being. S- steadfast, not easily moved off of something, and it implies kind of a hopeful look forward. So what this is talking about, what James is talking about, is our faith in the middle of a trial will keep us steady and strong and not easily moved away or moved off of it. Because what the devil's after you in a trial and I'm getting a little ahead of myself the devil's after you to try to to try to distract you pull you off God's course for your life or eventually if he can just cause you to turn around and backslide go backwards that's what he wants to do so the main purpose of your faith in your walk is to make sure you're not easily moved And we've talked about that a little bit, because the only avenue the trial has at you, because everything you go through, and this is not literally true, speaks to you. So you start getting a pain in your body, and your mind doesn't say, oh, I just have a pain there. Eventually your body mind tries to figure out, what does that pain mean? Or you hear something, and we've talked about this before when we talked about faith. You may hear a rumor that they're going to lay people off. You don't even know that that's true. But it doesn't take long for your mind to figure out, I'm going to be one of them. And if I'm one of them, I'm going to lose my job. That means I have no income. We're going to lose our house. We're going to end up in the street. And before you know it, in the space of 15, 20 minutes, especially if you talk to somebody else about it, I mean, you're going to have yourself out on skid row. And you don't know anything yet. We talked a lot about that with renewing their mind. Because what our mind does, our mind takes facts and tries to reason, try to make some kind of meaning out of it. And until your mind is renewed to this word, you're almost always going to be wrong. So what faith does, faith says, I see the facts, but I'm only moved by what this says. I'm only moved by what I believe. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm only moved by what the word of God says. So I'm not moved by those circumstances. See, if I'm, if I'm unstable, I'm easily moved by the circumstances because my, what my senses are telling me has a greater authority to me than what God's Word says. And we've talked about that on, on Sundays uh, the, towards the end of last year. We talked about walking by faith. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time... So that's what patience means. But verse 4, go back to verse 4 now. And let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature, complete, lacking nothing. So in order for God to work out in your life what he wants to work out in your life, you have to stand still enough in the middle of the circumstances so he can work it. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, we're not going to turn there. It's around verse 11, somewhere in there, where it talks about... Starts in verse five, where it says, "If that God, because He's a Father and He loves us, He will correct us." And He goes through different levels of correction. And I think it's around verse eleven. It is verse eleven. It says, "If you endure the correction as a son, if you endure the correction, then God." Basically, it says, "If you look at it, if you, the, the, the original language, if you are willing to endure the correction, then God can correct you as He would a son." And what's implication there is when you're going through some kind of discipline, then, and, and we're not willing to sit there and, and take the discipline, what am I supposed to learn out of this? Then you're going to, have to go through it again. And by the way, it says God only corrects those are His and He that He loves. So whatever God's doing in your life, it's because He loves you. And as I've said before, He loves you where you are, but He loves you enough to not leave you where you are. And we're going to talk about what trials are as we get on with this. And we may even get into some of that tonight. Okay, now, then he talks about, let's go into verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What in the world does wisdom have to do in that? Now, that's one of my favorite verses. I I quote that a lot to myself and, and in my prayer, because what that's saying is if you lack wisdom, then if you ask God, He'll give it to you. And He won't reproach you. Which means He won't go... <laughs> what a stupid question that is. Because <laughs> understand, to God, every question stupid. So, God never looks down on you for asking a foolish question. Because they're all foolish. If you sincerely want an answer, God will give you answers. And that's fine to use that... But he's talking here in the context of a trial. So there must be some wisdom that in the middle of a trial we need to have some wisdom. Because that's the context that he's talking in. Later on he applies it to everything, but right now he's talking about wisdom in a trial. Now, I, I, I back, go back up very quickly. We're going to jump around a little bit, so I'll keep him busy back there. Verse 2 says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials the word trial there is a greek word that means that means a difficulty or a test it's a word that means that, that that means well let's go down it's the same word now let's jump down to verse 12 blessed is the man who endures temptation that's the same word as trial in verse 2 Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no one say when he's tempted, that's the same word, I'm tempted, same word by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt himself, does he himself, nor does he himself tempt anyone. And then he goes on to say, and we'll look further on, but he says, when well, if you're tempted, you're tempted and drawn away by your own desires. Now, wait a minute. The same word trial says it's good to go through the trial because it's a testing of your faith. Then it says that if you go through the temptation, if you go strong through the temptation, you're going to receive, and that's from God, a crown of life. But then it says God doesn't tempt anybody with evil. Now wait a minute, what's all this mean? So apparently there are trials that it's God's will that you go through. Or in a trial, it's God with you in it. And then there are other things he says you need to avoid. How do we know the difference? You need wisdom. Go back to verse 5. If any man lacks wisdom, ever get in a trial and say, what's going on here? That's lacking wisdom. Now, one of the things i found that God will not give you wisdom for, I'm not saying never, because I've learned not to say that, but usually when we find ourselves or fall into a trial or some difficulty, We, the first question we have is why? Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to so and so? I know somebody else and it didn't happen to them and they weren't living as holy a life as I am. How come this happens to me? Why did this happen to me? Why, 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 why? I have found out in my own life, God very seldom tells me why. And I think I mentioned to you, it may have been last week, listening to the teacher, he was going through the book of Job, and when Job falls into one of these terrible trials, Job's three friends come over, and Job and his wonderful three friends spend most of the next 35 verse chapters trying to figure out why this happened to Job. God shows up on the scene, starting, I think it's in chapter 40, and goes through chapter 42, and God never says why at all. He never addresses the issue at all. So somehow, to God, why is not important. What good does it do in the middle of it to find out why? Don't you want to know how to get out of it? Because usually when we're trying to find out why, we start feeling sorry for ourselves. Why does this happened to me? What did I do wrong? You may not have done anything wrong. There's two main reasons people, bad things happen in people's lives. One of them is they do it to themselves. Another is the devil does it to them. What you want to know is what do I need to learn to go through this? How do I get out of this? I feel like I'm losing some of you, so we'll, can, we'll, move, we'll move along here. There's a difference between trials, where you apply your faith to it and you learn there's something that you need to grow in, and temptations, which come against you to distract you. And so we need God's wisdom in the middle of the situation to know what am I, what, what's going on? What do I need to do? Where are you in this? Are you in this with me? What's going on? Because in the middle of a trial, especially if it's a sudden thing that comes on you, we find out, and I think we talked a little bit about this last time, we have all built into our lives various foundations that we stand on, hold on to, touch, that make us feel secure. I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of suddenly getting disoriented. Maybe we were in the shower. Sometimes I've had this happen. shower, you know, washing my hair, and I turn around quickly, and I've had my eyes closed because I don't want to get soap in my eyes, and I suddenly... I'm not sure which way I'm facing. So I'll reach out to touch the wall, and if I touch that cold tile on this side, I know I'm facing the right direction because now the water's going to squirt me in the face. If I reach out this way and I'm touching a shower curtain, I know I'm facing the wrong direction. So that solid wall helps us orient me, and I know now I've got my bearings back. I know where I am. There are there are things in our lives that we have learned to rely on. People, relationships, jobs, titles. It may be a thing. It may be your car. It may be your house. Maybe you've lived in that house your whole life, and you're comfortable there. And so that becomes part of your sense of well-being, is when I come home to this house... It feels like I'm home. This is I can just let my hair down. I'm here. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that house can disappear. As long as your ultimate foundation of your life is in your relationship with God, because nothing can shake that. Nothing can take that away from you. And this is why when we begin to come to the end of our life, or our life gets threatened, we get scared, because we're trying to hold on to those things that mean something to us. Because that's where our meaning of our life comes from. And yet the reality is, when you leave this body and you're present with the Lord, you're now in the presence of the only one who has true meaning in your life. So your foundation will not be shaken. Everybody follow me so far? Okay, all right, good, that's better. Okay, so it's important to have wisdom in the middle of a trial of what's going on, what do I need to do? Because often what will happen is we'll get off on the wrong ideas. We'll get on the, again, why did this happen? Who, you know, when we need to hear what God has to say to us, because God covers us. He's got our back covered. He had, well, over in, in 1 Corinthians, I'm jumping around a little bit, but let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, well-known verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. says, there is no temptation, same word, that's come against us, that's not common to man. But God is faithful. This is wisdom now. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. That word also means endure it or go through it. So there's nothing that's going to happen to you that God's not available and in it with you. God's not av- there's nothing that can happen, that God's not available and in it with you, and that he will also provide a way of escape so that you could endure it. Now, there's some situations that come in our life, all we want to do is get out of it as quickly as we can. Those are usually situations that we caused. And we want to get out of this as quickly as we can. There's a problem with that. If we get out of it too quickly then we don't mind getting back in it again because we know we got out of it quickly last time. It's just human nature. I remember one time we were going through a difficult financial time. And by difficult, I mean we didn't, have any, we didn't have any money. I had no income, nothing. And it was all as a result of some unwise decisions, I'm trying to be kind to myself, that I made. I got us, our, our family into this situation. And when I saw what I'd done wrong and repented of the attitude or the bad decisions that I made, God began a course of getting us out of it. And I was saying, all right, God, I'm forgiven. I can get out of this. It was just some bad decisions I made. And was, and, and I'm wrong, Lord. I see what I made, made this wrong decision I made. I was just, I was prideful about some decisions I'd made. And and what and, and I said, okay, I'm ready to get out of it. Well, it took about four years to get out of it. And I tasted what that was like to such a degree that I don't want to ever go through that again. There's some other things I went through like that that I got such a bad taste of, all I know is I don't ever want to go through that again. What do I have to know so that I don't go through that again? And and so if you get out of it too quickly, you're casual about getting back into it again. Well, God got me out of it quickly last time. He'll get me out of it quickly this time. So we begin to presume on God. Because sometimes God gets you out of a mess quickly out of mercy and grace. But if you turn around and do the same thing all over again, He's going to get realized, wait a minute, they didn't really learn much about this. Maybe they need to sit in it a little bit. So they decide, I don't want to be in this ever again, so I gotta learn what it takes to not get in it again. Cause God, I mean, we do this with our kids. Sometimes. God wants, God wants you to grow and mature. I was listening to, uh, uh, somebody this today talking about growing in faith. And he said, so many times people that have been walking with the Lord for a number of years get frustrated because their prayers don't seem to get answered. Or, or they have people pray for them, and those prayers that they have, you know, the pastor prays for healing, and, and, he, and they and say, well, I guess they don't have anything. I didn't get it. But God expects us to grow and mature in our own faith. Things that God will do for you when you're a new Christian, God begins to expect you to grow in your faith. Well, it's Hebrews chapter 6. The writer of Hebrews says, you know, wait a minute, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be teachers by now. Do I have to go back over the basic essentials of faith with you? Be careful because when you're not growing, you're receding. You're, you're slipping back if you're not growing. We talked about that Sunday. About if, you're not, if you're rowing upstream and you stop rowing, you start going downstream. You don't just sit still. And life is like that. So, so, so God will, will allow challenges in your life. Now I'm not talking about sickness and disease. Because those are things Jesus bore for us. But most of the troubles we get into, we get ourselves into. Because we didn't listen to God, we didn't do what the Word said, or we just were headstrong about something. I can tell this is really exciting to you. All right, I was excited to teach this tonight. I don't know what's going on. Let's go back to James. So if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, say all. all. So you're part of all. And he gives liberally. He gives liberally. He'll give an abundance of wisdom. Then how come I don't have it? We're going to look in a minute. But in many cases, we don't have it because we're really not looking for it. Remember, Ed Cole used to teach. He said people will come and they're in a difficult financial situation like I was in. And they come and they go to God. And what they're asking God for is, I need money. God, I can't pay the mortgage this month. I can't, you know, things are tight. My bills are tight. You know, God, I need money. And God begins to open scriptures up to you about tithing. No, I don't need tithing. I need money. You don't need the money. I need the money. (laughs) And often what we're looking for is a quick fix. If I just get the money, then I'm going to be all set. But most likely, if I just get the money, I'm going to be back in the same mess later on. And so, what God often wants to give us is wisdom. Wisdom. Maybe that wisdom is the idea for a new business that will make the money. Maybe that wisdom, I know of people, I know, I don't know them personally, but I know of, of people that, 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 that were, were, were in a difficult situation, and God gave them the idea for a clever, a clever invention. And nowadays, with all this electronic stuff, it may not even be a mechanical invention. It may just be some computer thing. Somebody came up with a recipe for for chocolate chip cookies and sold it for a multi-million dollar business. You don't know what God can do with with an idea he gives you. So maybe what you need in this situation, in fact, most likely what you need in the middle of the trial, is wisdom. Not to get rescued out of it, but wisdom so that when you go through it, you'll come out stronger in your faith on the other side. I would never ask to again go through what I went through last year, but I would not trade it for anything. Because I came out of it with my faith stronger, I came out with it breaking through some things, I came out of it with my personal relationship with the Lord infinitely closer than it's ever been before. And I wouldn't choose to go through what I went through. But see, God, and it wasn't that God brought it into my life. I'm pretty sure I know what had happened. But God knew it was going to happen. And He didn't prevent it because He knew He was going to go through it with me and give me the opportunity to grow and to learn. But I had to choose to treat it that way. I had to choose to treat it that way and to begin to see it as an opportunity. So this wisdom is to learn to discern the difference between a trial and a temptation. Again, now let's go to verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, that's the same word as testing up there, when he's been approved or passed the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. But let no man say when he's tempted... He's tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. So now he's talking about temptation by evil, to do evil, to speak evil, to think evil. And God doesn't bring those temptations to us. Let me give you an example, because he will get into some of these things when we get further into the book of James. Jealousy, envy, strife. They're not a trial that's to test your faith. That's a temptation by the, it's really easy to discern the difference when it comes down to this. It's, what's the purpose of it? If this is from God, if this is, if God's involved in it, then the purpose is to help you grow and mature. It's the opportunity to grow and mature. Because God's motive is always to help you become stronger in your faith and your trust in Him, always to help you to grow and mature, to be more like Jesus. The devil comes at us not to help you to mature, not to strengthen you, but he comes at you to weaken you. He comes at you to distract you. He comes at you to get you to quit, to turn back. He comes at you to get you, to pull you off course. And those, the temptations that he brings has that purpose. And now he's talking about that God does not, but the devil tempts you with evil. That chocolate sitting on our buffet. (laughs) The ice cream in the freezer. (laughs) Those are easy ones to recognize. But jealousy, envy, strife, these are all things he's going to talk about in very practical terms as he goes further. But he's setting the stage for it because he's helping them to understand that when something difficult comes in your life, you need to discern what's going on here. Am I being tempted to get in strife and get pulled off course by it? Here's, one, here's an experiment to run, but you need to have your eyes open to do it. Get up tomorrow morning and determine for the rest of this week, I am just going to walk in love towards everybody. And watch what happens. <laughs> you, I've had days where I say, what in the world is going wrong? What is happening here? I'm asking for wisdom. What is happening here? I'm ready to take, you know, people are coming at me with all kinds of things. They're like, oh yeah, I preached on love Sunday. That's what it is. So Satan will come. Remember, what we learned before, he comes to steal the word. He comes to steal the seed. Well, he can't take it out, so he's got to distract you. And he knows each of you. He's studied our flesh. Helped develop some of it. He knows where your weakness is, where your area of temptation is. You may be tempted by things that would never tempt me at all, and I may be tempted by things that would never tempt you. But he knows what they are. So those temptations are to be tempted by evil. And then he goes on to explain. Verse 14. But each one, when he's tempted, this kind of temptation, is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So he's, t- this is part of the wisdom, that when Satan's coming to distract you, so this one of the things I ask myself, what's behind this? What's, what's this trying to get me to do? And I knew right away that although this diagnosis I got, the ultimate purpose was to kill me, I recognized that this was not a temptation of, of evil, but it, was an, it became an opportunity for me to grow. And right away, as I shared with the Spirit of God, He was right there with me before I walked out of the doctor's office. He spoke to me what this was about. Again, God didn't bring it to me. He didn't put that on my body. But He used this, He knew it was coming, as an opportunity for me to grow in some areas where I needed to grow. Because I was willing to take that attitude about it. He said, why is me, why did this happen to me? Why did you know?" And some of those thoughts started going through my head, but I didn't let them get very far. Okay. So we're drawn away when Satan comes at us. Oh, learning to know where it's so when some Satan comes at me, he's coming at me through desires of my flesh. And he knows your weaknesses. Maybe you're insecure. Maybe you grew up and you didn't have a good image of yourself, or maybe you just weren't whatever caused it, whether it was at school, at home, you're just insecure. So you're you're sensitive to how people feel, think about you. The Bible calls that the fear of man. You know what are they going to think about me, and that leads to this sense over sensitivity. Well, then that's an area because that's down inside of you. It's in your th- head. It's not in your spirit, and it's not in your heart. It's in your head. It's a thinking process. We've talked about that before. Then, then, then the devil will come at you and try to bring situations across your path to use that insecurity to touch to touch their emotions. So very often, and I've taught you this before, the devil's a deceiver. In fact, he'll go on, later on, he says, do not be deceived. And a deceiver is like a con artist, which means what they make make you think they're after is not really what they're after. So when the devil's tempting you, whatever it looks like the issue is, that's almost never the real issue. He's trying to steal. It's very simple. John 10.10. He comes to steal kill, or destroy. Nothing else. The other thing we know about him, Jesus said, he is a liar and the father of lies. So whatever he's telling you may have truth in it, but it's not the truth. And so he will tempt you. He will. And, and, but he's working on your desires. See that? But each one when he's tempted is drawn away. That's what the devil is after. He wants to draw you away from the course God has you on. He wants to draw you away ultimately from God. He wants to draw you away from the Spirit of God that's in you. He wants to draw you away from church. Now you're here on Wednesday night. But you all know people, or most of you know people, that used to be here regularly and you don't see them anymore. They were drawn away. And, and, and it wasn't like the devil came to them on Monday morning in a red suit with a pitchfork and say, don't go to church anymore, because they'd realize uh, this is the devil. Instead, what happens is he's much more subtle. They get on Facebook, or they get in the, in the grocery store somewhere, and they run into somebody else who hasn't come to church anymore. And they say, well, I haven't seen you in church anymore. Yeah, you know, I don't like the music they're playing. I'm not sure I like what that pastor is teaching. And they begin to express their discontent. The Bible says a lot about discontent. And then, you know, you're already feeling insecure, and so it begins to resonate a little bit with you. Yeah, you know what? i felt some of that myself. So now you start talking back and forth, and faith comes by hearing, and you begin to share your discontent, and now the discontent begins to grow inside of us, as we think about it, and the more you think about it, the more thoughts are coming at you, and all it is is the devil trying to draw you away, because the word says, forsake not the assembling together, all the more as you see the end draw near. Now, is that just good advice God's giving us? It's, that's just you know what. Here's a suggestion. I think it might help you in some difficult time. Don't get drawn away. Don't you know? Again, I'm talking to the choir this morning. I know, but don't you know? Don't, don't you know? Don't forsake your assembling together. That's just a good suggestion. No, 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 no. God knows the devil's techniques. He knows what the devil's really after. And if we just we're going to get into this next week because what we're going to do is we're going to look. I'll give you a little preview because we're going to have to enter in a minute. We. Uh, I'm gonna look, we're gonna look at two stories in the Bible of examples of these testings and tempting. And the clearest one of all is Jesus. I'll give you a little preview. Jesus in Luke chapter 3 is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4 begins, and he was led in Matthew's chapter 5, it says, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wait a minute. God doesn't tempt us with evil, and yet the Spirit of God led him in the wilderness to be tested, tempted by the devil. Why would God do that? Well, you'll have to come back next week to find out. <laughs> I'm tempting you. <laughs> but I'll leave you with this. At the end, because he passed the tests, it says he returned in the power of of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit so something had to be tested before the power could flow. Maybe the reason we're not seeing more of the power of God is we haven't gone through the test or we've gotten into him and didn't pass the test And we're going to look at next week how Jesus passed the test. And then we're going to look at another example of someone God tested and what he was testing. Because we need to learn the difference between the trials and the tests that God ordains for us to pass and the temptations of our flesh that are the devil trying to distract us and to destroy us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that your spirit is in us to guide us and to direct us. We thank you that we've heard from your word tonight, as we already know, that whatever, there may be many trials and tests represented in this room tonight, but your word promises us that you will give us wisdom, liberally, abundantly, that you won't criticize us, you won't upbraid us, you won't tear us down because we're asking for wisdom, but you will generously provide it for us so we come to you, Lord, for whatever the situations are in people's lives tonight, here in this room, and in the sound of my voice, that you would give to them the wisdom that they need, not so much to understand why, but to understand the what they're in and to understand the way that you have ordained for them through this. And we thank you in advance because we ask this by faith in Jesus' name. Amen.